right, welcome back to Ride On. I'm James Gross, and I'm joined by Jason and Camilla Ithacar. Welcome, Jason and Camilla. How are you? We're good. How are you? <laughs> uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having sure. us. Absolutely. Well, uh, we've got a lot to get through with you two uh, because you have a lot of kind of really cool announcements and you have a wonderful backstory. Um, and I guess just to 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 maybe announce the uh, one of the coolest things that happened was Jason and Camilla and their company, Swifty Scooters, was at Microbility America on October 19th and 20th. And they won the start boards in America, um, which was amazing. And uh, yeah, let's start there maybe because I, I do want to do the backstory, but let's just start with that win. Um, you know, what was that like and how was, how was the start boards uh, contest? Whoop, whoop. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Thanks very much. It was cool. Put it in the background. Oh, yeah, yeah there we go. <laughs> it was really cool to win. It was so so nice. Um, you know, we've uh, we'll go into the history later, but we've been you know we've been around for nearly a decade now, not doing electric scooters, but doing kick scooters and some other products. And um, to have an award or an accolade and recognition from the industry, which is the uh, you know the collective that micro mobility has put together, it really feels like we're at home there. And to be you know to win there. Uh, 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 like the the mecca of micro mobility was a real honor so i think that's why i got so kind of emotional when i did my expect my uh, um, acceptance speech because it was just like this accumulation of working hard to get to the show like we decided that we wanted to show that product to the the public for the first time at your show and then like we got to that point got there it's a pretty difficult journey getting there with the kids as well because we, we brought them along so it just it just got got to me. So no, it's tough. Really good. Yeah, amazing. So I mean, yeah, you guys you guys had the kids there. It felt like a really a family moment. Again, winning in um, at the Craneway Pavilion, which was the old Ford factory, the first place we ever did a Micro Mobility America event. Actually, um, for everyone out there, the, the last time we we're going to do a Micro Mobility event there, uh, the Craneway is going to transition to pickleball courts. If there's ever a uh, you know topical thing that the Craneway might become. Um, Moving from a Ford factory to an event venue and now pickleball courts. Oh, I've heard about this pickleball thing. It's like short tennis, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you guys play pickleball in uh, Manchester? We don't, but I've seen it on the news recently, and it's like becoming this really big thing for for people to to pursue. So, yeah, I mean, we but we we love tennis. We don't get very often to play it, do we? But it, it looks like it's a bit more accessible, and yeah, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, well. I mean, there's a there's quite a controversy here. The uh, so if you like tennis, you might not like pickleball because most oh most real tennis people are are very upset about what what uh, what pickleball stands for. The uh, I guess the type of athlete that is is now playing on their tennis courts. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think your win was awesome. Let's let's talk about your win. Let's talk about your pitch um, for for everyone out there. Like, what was what was it about your pitch that you think the judges uh, liked, and like what was the angle you took on, on trying to win? Of course, the yeah uh, the best star board. Okay, so our idea was to uh, really focus, I mean, focus on what the actual whole project is. And the project of the G500, the new vehicle, is to look at four pain points that we really think the customer experiences, and we wanted to really address it. So the first pain point, which is the biggest topic in micromobility, is batteries catching fire and how dangerous they are. That is not just dangerous to the consumer, but they're dangerous to our industry. Um, and so, you know, we've heard about lithium terephosphate 
uh, for some time. And um, we're really surprised that we're the first scooter company that has actually done that. And um, I think that was one of the main reasons why we won the award, because we were there. One of the questions by the judges was, you know, do you have IP there? Do you, are you going to protect this? And my answer was, no, I want the whole industry to go lithium ferrophosphate because competition is good and we need to clean up the industry and we need to stop these fires. And it is possible. Um, so battery safety was the, the first pain point, consumer pain point. Second one was utility. So we really think that with our vehicle type as a scooter, um, being able to carry your goods, uh, your shopping, uh, your 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 bag has got your laptop in, in a safe and reliable way um, is a pain point. And uh, scooting with a rucksack on your back isn't the nicest experience. We've, everyone that scoots has done it, and, you know, in the hot weather like you have in California, you get hot and sweaty. So utility is important. I don't think anyone's really done what we're doing with the front and back uh, pannier racks. Um, the third topic that we wanted to address was rider safety. Um, you were falling off, people going over potholes, for example. That's that's all big, big news. So we have dual suspension. Uh, we've always led with having a larger wheeled scooter. So 16 inches are minimum size that we believe in for an adult. Um, and then the rider geometry. So all the geometry is standard 150-year-old bicycle geometry that we we lend from to give our bicycle geometry, uh, scooter geometry, sorry, which we think delivers a really stable, um, really nice ride. And actually, Horace said at the uh, at the show that he felt like this the the G500 was the Bentley of of scooters, which is a a really nice uh, a really nice comment, which we we, we really we really liked. So the fourth the fourth topic was uh, service maintenance and um, and repair. So. Um, you know, we we are inundated on a weekly basis here in the UK with customers who uh, have other scooters that come to us trying to find parts for their vehicle from other brands. And we're like, look, sorry, we're a scooter brand. We're not, you know, a retailer. We don't stock those parts. So our own customers as well, over 10 years of, of servicing them, um, having a vehicle that you can take parts off very easily, fix and maintain is crucial. And for a brand that has an international strategy like ourselves, we want to sell pretty much globally from the UK direct to consumer, um, having those parts that you can just send in the post and the consumer, you know, with as little many of technical knowledge and tools uh, can, can replace it. So for example, our controller, you can whip that out in literally five minutes and replace it. And that's probably one of the number one things that goes on a vehicle is the controller. It can it can go quite easily. So uh, those are the four pain points that I think we wanted to address. Um, and, and I guess that's why why we won, because it resonates with the judges. Okay. And then, yeah, I agree with that. I think, uh, and Camilla, I heard you, I remember you saying in kind of your launch video for the G500, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how people feel about the size of it, um, you know, because it kind of feels, it feels big, I think, from where you guys come from. But maybe, again, you're in America, the kind of land of bigger car, bigger modes. Um, what was the response like on the size of it? Uh, just curious there. Did people feel like, oh, wow, it's big or did it not seem big? Um, I think it because of the big wheels, it looks like it's a lot bigger than some of the other scooters. But in reality, it isn't. It's just like a slightly different form factor. 
Um, and also the weight is really comparable with a more compact scooter. But what you get with the the the, the 16 inch wheels and the slightly longer wheelbase is this really smooth um, and stable ride. Um, the foot plate is fairly low as well, but actually the combination of those 16 inch wheels and uh, the low deck is really significantly more comfortable. And I think we've um, chosen that sort of form factor simply because of the conditions that we ride in here in Manchester. Um, I mean, being in California, it's the weather's beautiful and you understand why a more compact scooter would be fine. But somewhere like Manchester, we the weather's very changeable. We have, you know, long winters, very wet, uh, quite stormy, and the ride can be, you know, the road can be covered in debris. You have potholes covered in puddles. You know, the conditions are much more, I know, you need a more stable ride to be confident riding a scooter in the UK. Mm. And really that feeling of safety is is um, what we want to demonstrate for our industry. Because as you know, the UK um, has some teething problems in micromobility. <laughs> well, it's a... Uh... Yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to see the innovation you, you, you all come up with, and it, it, and from with where you're from, and of course, as as you say, the, the teething issues that maybe um, your hometown, your own home country has with with the amazing innovation you you built in transportation. Um, I, let's talk. So, I think there's some really cool parallels with what you 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 have done and what we've seen in the e-bike industry as well. Which is you know, we had Levi Conlon on the stage there, who in the U.S. Um, basically sell, sells well, sells more electric bikes than anyone else sells, you know, and upwards as he announced on stage of, of 150,000 units a year in the U.S. Um, yes, I saw that. Incredible. Wow. Incredible, right? And, um, but also um, all on the one, the one wheelbase of 20, 20 inch wheelbase. Um, and for lack of, you know, I, not, not necessarily what they were doing, but a lot of a lower profile riding, lower low profile seat type riding. Um, and I think they, and, and Levi teased it out and they just announced for the first time they've gone um, with a larger tire, the 24-inch wheelbase for their off-road uh, sort of uh, two-year um, uh, vehicle that they just announced. Um, but with you, the 16-inch the, the is very distinct um, and the lower profile on the deck is also distinct. Um, I see the need there I, or I, I can understand the safety there, which is really nice and really cruisy. Um, why? Yeah, right, really why cruisy. Really cruisy and, and really again, that's where and just yeah. beautiful to ride. And I think from experience, the more the safer you feel when you're riding, you just have so much more fun. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because uh we've tried some of the rental scooters. Um we were in Frankfurt, mm -hmm. drove across some cobbles, you know, which you get a lot in Europe. Um Teeth trial is Yeah, them. it's not it's not the Best experience, and for a consumer brand, you really want to make the experience the best you can. Yeah, yeah. I think and that's where even thing... uh, um, sorry on the on the weather point. Like you know, again in California here as an example, like even though very nice weather, but like we do like to cruise, like we invented the beach cruiser, you know. And yes. <laughs> um, where I can imagine the sixteen inch, if it's understood more with a, a consumer here would just be the idea that like you want to 
when you're when you're riding a scooter, I think there's not enough of a market understanding that like scooter is for cruising too. It's not just for like this performance, you know, full helmeted, um, you know, all leather racing. You know, you can really cruise on a scooter, and I think I think you all have uh, like you have a market there with, with yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you know the the scooter was designed for the U.S. market in mind. I mean, we've you know we've been selling direct our kick scooters to the U.S. market for some years now, and we've got a lot of feedback there, and we kind of feel like we understand that customer a little bit. But just just to Camilla's point before and your question before, I mean, talking about the cru- the cruising element, you know, the handlebars have like a really good back sweep. The um, so I think it's like thirty degrees or something. It's really far. Um, and the number one thing that people said at the show when they got on was they just felt confident, and and that's something that's really actually quite difficult to do. It might look you know quite obvious when you look at it, but from a from a design and engineering point of view, it, it it doesn't take much to take that away. And so that just comes from like our experience of years of like, we, this is like, this will be our, I think sixth production frame that we've, we've designed, engineered, tested and put out there. So you know, all the little details, all that combined knowledge putting together has made this like the best ride we've ever produced. And uh, that just comes from just years of doing it, ch- trying different geometries and frames. But one of the most important points, which I've been talking about for years in terms of making a stable ride, and the reason why the minimum wheel size, we believe, of 16 inches is important is because the axles of the wheels, if you draw a line between the two, if your deck is in line with that or above, your center of your center of gravity is going to be above those axles. And that's what makes an unstable ride, a twitchy ride. If it's below, your weight is actually pushing you into the ground when you're turning, when you're cornering. And they're the positions, the riding positions, when you do feel a little bit unstable as opposed to just going straight. It's when you're going around a corner, especially when it's slippy. So if it is slippy and it is wet um, and you're above the axle point, you're actually taking pressure off the tires in the corner. And so that's when you're going to get your accident. So. Mm-hmm. If you look out there and you look at the geometry of like scooters that don't feel very good to ride, it's really easy to see why. A lot of the times the front wheel doesn't have an offset. It doesn't have a proper trail. So that's why you have this shaky steering. Often, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm so blown away sometimes when you see the innovation that goes into stopping the shaking of steering. Like when they have these steering dampers and everything, you just need to have a trail, a bike trail. Bikes don't have shaky steering and that's for a reason because of the geometry so i know it's, it's difficult to do when you've got a tiny wheel because everything's compressed but having the big wheel just gives you so much more uh, and the, the the important thing is the result of this right so if you feel confident um and safe riding mm-hmm. you you ride for longer yeah and with us with swifties you know we've really pushed the boundaries in the distance people ride yeah because with with our kick scooters we thought well this is just like a last mile thing you fold it up put it on the tram and then scoot the last mile to the office or something like that but actually once you use it you're like well i can just scoot the five miles and beyond and save but the bus fare or yeah whatever because you feel so great riding it and um i think that's also where the judges really picked up on our niche 
in the um, the pitch because um, they were asking about the the um, the average length of trip that this scooter is designed for, and actually it's five miles plus, yeah. really. And you know, it really does open up the whole city, you yeah. know, to to micro mobility. It's not just about the last mile. Yeah, right. And I mean, again, even the so you're still you kind of stayed with your DNA though of if it's it's foldable. I think you have the quick release on on the front wheel as well. Um, you also, I mean, again, so I think uh, you know, just hearing you both talk about the, um, you know, how you thought about the innovation and in design to allow for a stable ride. One thing I I was curious on and seeing it is, um, what is the weight capacity? So uh, we've always respect our frames for uh, riders of up to 150 kilos. So we've always had a really high high weight limit um, just because of how strong we design our frames to be. Um, yeah. What's that have, in pounds? Sorry, just to do that. Ooh, I, uh, think, I think it might be about 330. Three I think it might be 300. Yeah, 330. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's yeah, um, right over 300. Yeah, three. Yeah, yeah. So we'll be carrying on with that that tradition and it will need to have something above that for the panniers as well i think the total weight extra for the panniers i think it's about 60 pounds in pounds that is and then what do you do about the i would when i saw it i would imagine two people are going to want to ride on this thing sometimes oh uh, well that's, you, a that's gonna happen yeah <laughs> warranty what voided a, what a, <laughs> <laughs> warranty <laughs> voided okay not not it's it, you know like there is a really I know it's it's not safe, and it does have that charming appeal to cruise together on that I imagine will, um, you know, people will do what they want to do with their vehicles, and I, I think that, that looks like a very charming ride to potentially have two people on it. Um, so, yeah. I'm, we've only tried it with, uh, we have a, a chocolate Labrador, Maggie. We've tried it with her. She loves it. She sits on the foot plate, <laughs> and we, we whiz along. Get the dog on it. Her tongue yeah, is hanging She loves it. So. In <laughs> pets only. Pets only. Pets only. <laughs> um, but yeah, there is real cargo capacity there, which is also cool. And and again, I think it's something yeah. that we'll continue to see in this space, whether it's paneers or, or front-loading dogs. Um, I know there's been some talk of maybe a trailer of some sort, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where you guys, sure, where you guys go? If you're going to do longer trips, you might need some luggage. Yeah. <laughs> we we have a kind of a cool idea. We'd love to like come back with a, a trailer with a big solar panel on there and, and, and go right across the US. So charge some batteries up as we're scooting and uh that'd be so cool to do. So maybe maybe we'll come back and arrive at the next ability show. Uh, after yeah, I- sure. Take it down the coast highway and recharge and, and camp along the way. That'd be that'd be that would be really fun and very cool. I would love to see you do that. Um, I mean, that's, so what, maybe, that's one of the cool things about the the battery, the lithium ferrophosphate. I mean, they, you can charge back up to eighty percent really fast, like under an hour, and you can be back up to eighty percent. So let's talk a bit about the battery because actually that was the most important part of our pitch. Yeah, I think let's go there. Uh, I guess my my question there, Camilla, is just why why isn't the entire industry on on lithium ferrophosphate? What's the what's the holdup? In terms of bikes and scooters. People want to hide the battery and often there's not much space and the normal lithium batteries are more compact. Yeah. Um, because of the size of the Swifty, we are able to accommodate LFP batteries Yeah. because it does require a bit more space uh, um, for the range that the market 
and requirements? I think there's a couple of things. I think there's, if you look at the, I mean, this whole kind of range anxiety is a real thing. And I think, you know, a lot of the manufacturers have totally been, like the whole marketing agenda is chase the numbers, like the biggest peak wattage, biggest wattage, biggest watt, uh, nominal watt, sorry, uh, for the motor and then the battery. What is the most range we can give the customer? And I think, you know, we, we kind of, I think, if, if that is your approach, you could only go with NMC batteries because they provide the most energy density. So I think, um, you know, it sounds quite obvious, but when you're coming to make those decisions, especially from a supply chain point of view, because, you know, the majority of the industry will buy a pack from a Chinese manufacturer. Um, we kind of decided to try and take a different approach um first of all from the safety point of view so we're like look it's gotta be lfp lfp is pretty cool because you can use it they call it like a gas tank kind of philosophy so you basically just fill it back up um it has no detrimental effect to the battery if you just want to put 20 minutes of charge in you know you use it by just keep topping it up um it's much better if you like kind of run it down almost to zero and then charge it back up to 80 percent that like last twenty percent is kind of hard to to achieve, and 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 um, it, so it's kind of there's no point kind of doing that. So getting it up to eighty percent is enough, but that gives you the extra range. So our vehicle will do forty kilometers in total with with one charge cycle. Um, but if you just stop for fifteen minutes and charge it back up, you've got you know half the range back again. So I think we need to like this vehicle is supposed to challenge a lot of the issues in the industry. First of all, safety, uh, geometry, size, wheel size, double suspension, um, and this this idea of chasing numbers. Like, why do you need to have a vehicle that does eighty kilometers? Who does that length of journey in one charge cycle? Like, I kind of get it. Like, I have it the same when I ride it. You know, you kind of feel, oh, I'm running low. But um, I think we need to we we need to challenge that perception and say, well, do we? Is the cost of safety? worth giving up a little bit of range anxiety and i think the answer is yes and one of the examiners uh, sorry judges on the uh the pitch asked me that question and um and of so the question of um with your your battery is that ip there that you're going to protect and i said no i want to i want to inspire the industry to, to do what we're doing like if they need advice they want to they want to come to us and ask questions about lfp then Hey guys, pick up the phone. I'm happy to speak to you. And that's a, anyone that's watching. You want if you're a manufacturer and you want to know about LFP, we'll give you all the information that we've got. I'm happy to give 20 minute conversation to anyone because I think the more companies that can use safe batteries as a as a as a collective group together, we can have a bigger impact. And I think competition is great. It's good. You know, uh, we want more really high quality vehicles that are out there uh, doing doing what we're doing. Great. Um, and, you know, I think those are all good points. And I, I know also the LFP, as you mentioned quickly there um, in some of your other videos, uh, has a has a faster charging cycle for like quick charging. Um, also has less uh, sort of the, the deprecation issue as you get lower in the battery and uh, and it doesn't lose the power like like some, like uh, a more traditional lithium-ion does. Yeah, constant current discharge. It's amazing. Constant current discharge, yeah. Yeah, constant. Um, it's cool. I think the most important thing that we haven't really touched on is the the resistant to thermal runaway. Yes. Okay. I mean, that yeah. really is the issue for yeah. LFP yeah. because the industry is being damaged by 
um, you know, batteries that are not being charged correctly or they're damaged and they can catch fire yep. because of the nature of the chemistry. Yeah. And they do suffer thermal runaway, which is this getting very hot very, very quickly. Yeah. And this isn't something that happens with LFP. Yeah, it doesn't happen because the the uh, there's no oxygen produced when you do have uh, uh, when 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 they get hot, so they 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 literally just can't catch fire. Um, the the um, um, the electrolyte also isn't flammable, and uh, the problem with NMC batteries is that the electrolyte is flammable and they produce oxygen, and so this is what produces this horrendous gas cloud of poisonous gases. Um, uh, the the energy has to go somewhere, and it's terrifying that they that catch fire. I mean, if 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 you were to you know in ten years come back and look at what we were doing, go we we're all using these NMC batteries just because we were pursuing range anxiety, and just because the supply chain is set up like that, and no one was actually bothering to just change course and try a different way. I think we'll look back and go, God, those guys were crazy. Like, look at what happened. So. I mean, the car industry is already... Yeah, Tesla's done it. ...embracing yep. LFP. So there's Tesla and also the Chinese uh, company BYD. Yeah, BYD, yeah, they're doing it. LFP. Mm -hmm. And I've heard that VW will also start to use LFP. So, you know, there's a huge, um, huge industry in LFP already. It's just not being adopted by micromobility yep. as fast. Right. So I think there's, you know, it seems like you guys are pioneers in the space on LFP. Um, it seems like something that we're going to say is sort of the, um, you know, standard, uh, you know, we know this is a big issue. We talked about this a lot at Microbility America with, um, you know, with the CBSC, with FIMSA, which is the pipeline of hazardous materials in, uh, in the U.S., which is all about, you know, how these things get transported on freeways or boats or anywhere else. Um, and then, of course, even having like Laura, the the fire commissioner from um, in New York, and and you know, I know, I know, London has been dealing with fires as well, um, much like New York has in in a big in a big area. Uh, I'm sure this is happening in smaller areas too. Just maybe not not reported as much, and not quite as tragic as some of these bigger apartment fires are. Yeah, you um, know what would be really cool just to mention at this juncture as well for like your audience and just in general, like when you're having those conversations. Um, so the shipping of batteries is also a, an issue. Um, the UN uh, 3181, 3, uh batteries contained inside vehicle, outside a vehicle, packed in multi-packs, et cetera, et cetera. What would be really cool is to somehow be able to, as a group, uh, influence the, the, the IATA standards in terms of a UN number, which says if it's a lithium ferrophosphate battery, which is safe, this can be shipped because it is safe. It won't catch fire. It would be amazing to have another category that is for lithium ferrophosphate batteries. Um, so I think, you know- Where that, Where is that, Jason and Camilla, in the US with LFP? Is that um, in UL certification, which of course is like the big thing right now in, in New York, most likely global out throughout the US. I don't, I don't the US. think there's, I don't think there's no, there isn't any um, advantage to have, have LFP when it comes to certification. It doesn't, it doesn't change anything. Even though but it is, is it UL certified? Like, are your are the LFP batteries you're using are they oh, UL yes. certified? It's, oh, it's it's going are. through it's going through all that now. So the the official launch of the vehicle will be uh, in April next year. That's when we're ready. That's when we'll be shipping. Uh, so the whole certification process, yeah, that's all happening at the moment. So yes, it will be by by the time we're ready to ship for sure. Okay, cool. 
That's great. Um, and then final thing on the on the new product, which I think is just worth mentioning. So um, you have uh, hydraulic, sorry, you have disc brakes, but not hydraulic brakes. I think that's something people might just want to understand why that is. And it seems like you made a thoughtful decision there. And then also just a lot of your exposed, um, well, a lot of exposed wires, which again, increasingly scooters are trying to hide, often hide the wires with the board of a sleek appearance. So you, you have kind of bucked the trend in both of those areas too. And I, I think I'm, I'd be great to hear why you've done that. Yeah, so, um, uh, you know, I, I'll just talk about disc brakes for the moment. I think hydraulic disc brakes and cable disc brakes, cable disc brakes have got a real, real bad rap. And, um, and, and I understand because I, I was a customer back in the day when they first came out and, you know, they were the cheap and cheerful option, uh, the poor man's hydraulic disc brake. Um, I had a pair and they were awful. Um, the, the good news is that they have really come on in 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 in, in recent years. And um, one of the very difficult things, like if you go back to the four things we're trying to achieve with the vehicle when it comes to service, maintenance, and repair, like for the for the average consumer to repair a hydraulic hydraulic disc brake hose uh, and the rear disc brake uh, on our vehicle, it's a really long cable. It goes right through the frame. It's very difficult for them to repair that or replace it. You have to bleed the line. Uh, it needs extra tools, quite complicated tools to use. You know, you got to take the oil out. It's not an easy job. And um, the the comparison in terms of performance for hydraulic versus the higher end cable disc brake, for me, there's not that much. And one of the really nice things I like about uh, cable disc brakes uh, is that the kind of the toe effects that you get from a caliper brake. And what I mean by that is when you pull the lever, you get a gradual uh, uh, pressure on the actual disc, uh, as opposed to a hydraulic disc brake. Everyone knows, you know, that the very sensitive, you pull it on and it locks on straight away. There's not, there's not much of a scale there for getting it wrong and, and going over the front. So coming back to kind of rider safety. So we're thinking about the customer getting on for the very first time. What is their experience? If they're going to pull that brake, it's a little bit like when you get a brand new car, right? You're not, you're not used to it. You're a little bit unsure until you get or like a higher car and the brakes are very, very touchy. So all of those things made us decide uh, to go with uh, a cable disc brake. It also makes uh, assembly a lot quicker and faster. Um, and also the fact for the end consumer, um, when we're when we're packing the product up into its shippable carton, we have to disconnect the brakes. And so being able to disconnect them, it's way easier if it's a cable. Um, um, and so th th those factors made us go towards using a, a cable disc brake. And I think it's absolutely fine. The performance is great. Um, I've, I have no problem with trying to burst that bubble. Uh, but this, this, us being advocates of fix and repair yeah. is something we strongly believe in due to experience, you know, mm -hmm. just uh, creates a better customer journey. Yeah. So if you've spent a lot of money on a scooter, you want it to last several years and it's there are perishable parts as part of that so tires inner tubes brakes those sorts of things will perish over time and you just need to be able to service it locally or yourself yeah yeah, yeah. it's really yeah i think it, you, you know it's i agree and i think you've gone a long way to think about these things and you know on the micro and all the different products and and and, and modes of micro mobility like you know, I think as a consumer, we've gotten used to, um, you know, products like the iPhones and such, which again, they're, they're locked up, they're enclosed, 
but also the their business models allow us and kind of afford us potentially to turn it in every year or every two years and just get a new one. Um, or something like your products, people might have them for many, many years and their ability to repair them, I think is a, is a thoughtful consideration you all made in a complaint I've heard a lot from, you know, just normal people that want to learn more about these things. They, they do really worry that the idea that they're not going to be able to repair them and not going to be able to, uh, you know, have them more than a year or two, that sort of takes away from the experience, which again. It's a problem in the industry really that's based on kind of environmental concerns where we're reducing um, air pollution. Um, when you've got a product that is sold as a sustainable option, um, but you can't repair it, it's like a throwaway design. Mm. You know, it just doesn't make any sense at all. So, um, you know, if you're going to be true to your word and call it a sustainable option to travel, you've got to be able to repair it over years yeah. um, to reduce consumption. You know, you, you want to be able to just buy it once. Yeah. I, I would argue that we're also kind of um, in our own way, like that kind of philosophy that we have, we're, we're even besting some of the car brands because some of the car brands, you know, they're, they're not the electric cars, like they're, they're not fixable, like you have to return it. Um, and I think, I don't think that's a sustainable practice. I think it's um, it's probably very expensive to do for them. Um, I kind of understand the kind of uh, conquer all kind of idea, uh, but we've we've seen in our industry some big names go, um, some of the big brands that are out there that tried to do that, um, and they've tried to own it all, and they have this leasing option, and then it all falls apart. I mean, I won't name names, but there's some big European e-bike brands that have gone under. And uh, I think that was their philosophy. They wanted to to own it all. So I think, you know, it, it is control everyone's to control everything. You know, and uh, you know those those users. I think they've they've created their own app and they're they're trying to get by, right? So, um, um, that kind of lends into also the idea of why why is the cable all exposed? It's because we want you to be able to get to the cable, pull it through the frame, and then replace it if you need to. Um, so the idea of like, if you want to upgrade, uh, like if you really wanted hydraulic disc brakes, like the, 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 where you put the caliper is it's exactly the same mounting. So you could get an after the market caliper brake, a high end Magura, whatever you want, and you could, you could put it on no problem. Uh, but the, the standard base model, it comes with the cable and, uh, the cable disc brake and the cables for the wiring harness, uh, they go through the mainframe. Uh, into it's like a tray the foot plate clamps down onto the tray so uh, for a customer to access that there's four bolts and a locking mechanism so you can take it off it's all it's all nicely laid out there like you don't need to hold it in a like a weird way you can just put it on a, a, a stack of books and as a customer if you've got a broken controller or you want to upgrade it or you want to put a bigger motor on later you can do that with the same frame i mean our our normal products that we have here uh, in the UK, so our kick scooters, I think the, the longest serving vehicle that we've had that's come in for a service is over 10 years old. So that, that just shows you how long they last. So um, I think we're, we've kind of like got a bit of a refreshing approach compared to others. I mean, we, we also offer a, a, a fix and repair repaint service. So people send us their vehicles and we repaint them for them, send them back brand, brand looking that's new. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah we, I, I saw the the custom decks you guys do as well, which looks really yeah. fun. And I think yeah. it's a, so. I I guess maybe my 
to talk to the culture of the company, we haven't spent nearly enough time on the history of your your business and how long you two have been at it, and just the you know the credibility I think you can you you bring with the idea that you've been in business for thirteen years. Um, but at the same time, I'm very curious where you stand on the transition to, uh, of course, being more electric. Um, you know, we've seen here that you know to speak to the U.S. market. The majority of the biggest players are not the incumbents, meaning the electrics, as I mentioned earlier, you know, Mike at Rad, um, Abington. These are companies that were uh, digitally, uh, sorry, uh, natively electric, natively digital too. Um, and they don't come from the more traditional, say, pedal bike world. Um, and we've seen something similar, I think, with the electric scooters that have market share here in the in the US, uh, the big market share. Um, how do you think about that transition uh, to electric, clearly, and again, some of your, I, I can tell some of your cultural tenets are the idea of sustainability and long lasting. You have a big consumer uh, kicked scooter market. How do you think about continually serving that while still trying to keep pace with, of course, all the innovation with electrification and, and where you might think this is all going? Just curious how you balance that. One day, are you all electric? Will you always have the kick model? All those things are, I'm very curious on it and how you balance that as a Jason culture. built a first electric scooter in 2013. Yeah, my workshop. So it probably was before most. I think the only most people knew about electric scooters, and we've been watching the market develop in that time. Well, they didn't exist. Electric scooters didn't exist yeah. when we started. There wasn't an electric scooter. I remember. When the when the first ones came, I mean, the only thing that really existed was the um, was it called the kick ped, and it was like a wooden deck with a with an actual petrol mo motor on the back. They were like uh, early two thousands, I think. They were like, uh, yeah, they had a they had a it it was a scooter, but it was um, yeah, it had a petrol motor on the back, like a like a like a like a little a little two stroke motor, and they they were banned pretty quick because they were really noisy and really smelly because they were they were basically just like a like a chain, chainsaw motor that was on the so but they weren't electric right so I, I i it'd be a good question actually to, to know who was the very first maybe you know uh james who was the very first i don't that's a good question i maybe i was some of the audience about those it's like 1904 or something wasn't it yeah i mean in modern times though like it uh, yes yeah. you know after it's all after, after micro lawn, I mean micro and razor. They're the they're the big names that did it first. Um, to uh, um, yeah, and um, they were the big brands. You know, I mean razor. They sold like six million kick scooters. Like in their first year, they reported it was huge. Um, and then so we were the the roots of the, the of the company is I'm an industrial product designer. Camilla's Camilla's a technical fashion sportswear designer. Uh, we both work for different brands uh, at the time. I, we had our own little consultancy. And uh, when we launched our cons design consultancy, which we still run to this day, we still have clients who we design products for. Um, and um, we we launched our design studio by having like three or four projects that were the studio projects. One of them was a scooter. We had some kitchenware products and um some other little bits and pieces and we did uh, a trade show and uh as part of london design week and we got a really good response from the scooter so we were like hmm, this could we could have something here anyway we we took a year to develop the proper the proper product and then uh the brand which is probably the hardest thing the the vehicle itself was pretty straightforward but 
coming up with like a brand name and kind of an identity. Uh, it took some time, but then we came back the following year and I made uh, 30 scooters in my workshop. It took me probably about three months to make them. And we sold them all at this trade show. And we were like, great. We had a pile of cash, which was amazing. We stupidly booked a holiday right after the trade show when we were getting all these emails. And then we got an order from a distributor uh, in the Far East and they wanted uh, 200 pieces. So all I could think of on when I'm on holiday was, how the hell am I going to make 200 pieces? It's just taking me three months to make 25. So um, it was a, a really, a really amazing start. This was kind of like in a period of time when, you know, if you went to a trade show, you would get bloggers and vloggers who would come to generate content. And we got picked up by lots of great content. We went on Bike Radar, which went around the world. We got an article in GQ magazine, et cetera, et cetera. And um, is this a then... kick scooter, Jason, or is this a yeah. electric scooter? Yeah, yeah this was the kick scooter. So we started with kick scooters. And, it, and, and the reason why we started with kick scooters was because we were, we were both living in London and we were commuting. Uh, we both had quite serious cycling accidents in London. Didn't really want to cycle anymore because it was more of a job of getting to the tube or the train, which was like a half a mile away or something. And the idea of a little Razor scooter or a micro scooter, we were just like, no, it's a kid's toy. Like, There's got to be something better for an adult. So I guess we took inspiration from like folding bikes and being bike enthusiasts ourselves. And so we designed this 16-inch wheel folding scooter, which was called the Swifty One. And that just got like, an amazing response. Uh, we we sold a whole bunch of product. Um, we then sourced the manufacturing in the UK. We we scraped, bumped along all the typical startup kind of story. Um, but now you know, roll forwards. We got three models of that kick scooter. We got a folding, non-folding, and a kids version. Uh, and then we have the electric range, and we've got you know thousands of happy customers around the world. Um, and we've really tried to. Build, we've always tried to build a company based on who we use, the opposite of who we used to work for because we both work for big industry uh, where it's all about you know that the pursuit of profit is at all costs um, and often you know the amazing ideas that you have in the studio it never goes to the end consumer it's like it gets lost along the way because of cost because of marketing because of x y and z so we've always had this kind of very strong opinion to try and create a company that um, had a bunch of values that we believe in, our customers believe in, and our employees believe in. So one one of the things I was going to say before when you said, you know, um, how do you feel about the change in the market and how's that going to affect you going into electric? Like we've always had, so we've always lent from the phrase of evolve or die. Like it really is true. Like during COVID, a lot of our, you know, our friends in, in the industry, they kind of just stayed still and they're not here anymore. And that's because they didn't try and innovate. They didn't try and pivot. And that's something I think as a creative team, husband and wife team, we're very good at doing that because we come from a very different skill set. So we have like two different mindsets when it comes to product, but they combine really well together. And I guess that's why we've got quite a a novel approach um, and why we've been successful today, hopefully. Okay, and then so, but you'll keep the kick scooters going. You'll 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 yeah. keep the non-electric yeah. models going, yeah. and continue to bring out new models in the non-electric space as well. 
Yeah, we've got we've got lots of ambitions. Yeah, uh, and so you know, historically, we've always put profit back into new innovation. And um, so, I'll give you an example in lockdown, like like everybody else, like our uh, 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 non uh, our non electric scooters, our kick scooters, they're they're made in our Taiwanese base. Um, we've worked there for years. We've got a really good uh, supply chain there. The new electric will be made in the UK. We'll still import some parts, but it will all be made here. Um, so we were really struggling for product like everybody else. Like the lead times went from three, four months to 18 months. So we were like, man, what are we going to do? We've got no product to sell. So I, uh, I turned around to our financial director and I said, I need a bunch of money to buy some machinery and we're going to start making fitness products. And they were like, what? Uh, and that all came from uh, a bunch of content that we made uh, to help our customers how to scoot. And we've got this this YouTube video on how to kick scoot. It has thousands of views, um, and it's basically a really simple video showing you how to do something called switch kicking. And that's when you skip from one side to the other with your foot and change feet. Um, and that gave us the idea of producing like a little training device uh, for our customers that they could use in front of the TV at home to learn how to switch kick. And uh, that kind of went on to uh, the idea of this balance board. And uh, so we bought a whole bunch of CNC machinery and we started manufacturing balance boards. And the balance boards became like 20% of our turnover in lockdown. So this whole idea of innovate or die became something that, you know, I say all the time uh, because look what it did. It got us out of a hole. So the, the Swifty Go is kind of like has an essence of that. It's like break all the molds. Don't worry about, you know, what the norm is. Let's challenge that and let's let's believe in our ability uh, to, to deliver value to the customer. Uh, I mean, yeah, we, I, I, we, gosh, we could go into so much on balance boards. I have quite a few balance boards here. In my, my home. Have you got oh, one yeah. of ours? I'll send you one. No, I don't have one of yours. I, and hey. I, I, I only knew that because of course, researching you guys and seeing that, uh, in some of the designs, clearly, um, you know, um, surfer, right? So all, all servers yeah. have balance boards. Were you selling them to servers? Or are you selling just people working yeah. on their like core and stay at home? surfers yogis like it just took off it was great it was great yeah obviously people yeah. working from home yeah yeah right what we're gonna home a little core uh that's good i i love a I love a balance board i think that's actually really good for all the micro communities if they spent a little more time on balance boards yeah because yeah, really the swifty is sort of grounded in sport as well yeah sure um, no i think that makes a lot of so sense so a lot of our customers are into fitness use kick scooters for fitness and obviously, yeah. the electric isn't really a fitness device. Sure, but I mean, so, you know, like I always say with electric, like you know, if you're on a if you're on an electric scooter, you're most likely going to do something else active too. So it's like, yeah, you know, it creates it propagates fitness. But there's definitely room for all of the products. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're okay. Continue all of the... Actually, the balance board is one of the reasons why the footplate of the G500 has got a plywood footplate because we just we love the tactility oh, of the plywood. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's beautiful. I agree with that. So yeah, yeah. this is the balance board. So I'll send you one. You pick a color. Amazing. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, I love I love one. I love balance boards. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just just part of it. Um, okay, well, great. I mean, you know, again, I think the the story is is so interesting. Um, I think your accents will come out for people that can't watch the video but see it in audio. Um, last thing I want to talk about is just your your market sizing. So, you know. I, before we started, Jason, you told me about how you're you're seeing a lot of pickup in the U.S. as it relates to like digital traffic, 
Like, what is your biggest market today? And where, where do you, what, what will be your biggest market? Well, biggest market in time will definitely be the US for sure, 100%. I mean, if you just look at the search term electric scooter in the, in the UK, US search term, it's like 100x. So it's no brainer to kind of put some cash into that, advertise to that market. Um, and we, you know, we've built quite a slick operation in terms of shipping direct to the consumer in the US now, in terms of how you do that, uh, the requirements around dangerous goods with the battery. So we, we actually ship our battery separately first to the to the customer. We send it first because it can take up to two weeks to arrive just because of custom clearance and stuff. Um, and then the, the vehicle will arrive afterwards and you just plug it in and it's all good. Because if you ship it together under that uh, UN number, then it's a much more expensive item to, to ship. Mm. So, but running a direct running a direct consumer brand, you know, it's the world's sort of quite small. You know, people find us from all over the place. Yeah. So, um, even though we'd like to be the most successful in our home territory, I don't see that happening. Um, be a new electric scooter. Well, let's, uh, I mean, you know, so are you, are you, as two entrepreneurs, as founders, like, are you, are you going to live in a place where it's not your biggest market or are we going to see you move to the U.S.? And what's the, <laughs> what's the, you know, are you going to compete you know, from have, all the way across have, the ocean? We have thought about it. Yeah, we have talked about it as a, as a family as well. And, um, you know, I, 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 I said to the kids when we, that's one of the reasons why we brought the kids with us to the, to the show. It, it fell in, in half term time as well. Uh, but you know, the, tagging on the the trip to yosemite afterwards which we did with them was like this like not once in a lifetime but it's like it's such a, a an amazing experience for them we had to let them experience it but we wanted to let them experience and see how, that, how they reacted to to the us because uh, in the back of our mind we've we've talked about it a few times and you know there's a couple of brands that have done that in the past and it's not outside of the realms of possibility but um uh, yeah let's see maybe you two need to talk about that more but uh, uh yeah i think that's and then how how long before here in the u.s we see uh swifties at um you know at walmart at best buy at costco like is that is that in the cards it sounds like it could again it's so interesting to hear about the u.n standard there where you, you're shipping the battery and then the vehicle which is is great it's fine but gosh it's you know why can't i just get it all why can't i get it all immediately why can't you know i mean these are these are things that I can do with cars and other things. It's so, it's so unfortunate that that's the experience. Like the first thing we we're doing is having a a base for some stock in the U.S., which will happen quite shortly. Yeah. So, in direct to consumer is our focus at the moment, yep. and um, any other retail opportunities, we'll just see what comes our way. Yeah. Yeah. There's one really cool thing I'd I'd like to just mention, and um, we didn't really get a chance to demonstrate it very much at the show, but. We have a, a company called Quinn who we've partnered with who are based in Texas, and that's where we're going to have stock. Uh, they're, they're very good friends of ours. They're actually a British company, but they're, they're based in, they have a base in Texas. And um, they have a really, really cool bit of hardware that they, they, they put into helmets. And this bit of hardware uh, provides crash detection. It's a crash detection device. And um, it will call your emergency services if you have an accident. And so we have put that hardware inside the vehicle, inside the scooter, sorry. Um, so our scooter technically would be able to detect if you have a have a crash. Uh, it, it can detect the G-force on impact, the acceleration, deceleration, 
um, the angle into, into turning and cornering. Um, we're still testing all of this data. We had the sample live at the show and we showed a couple of people. Um, but Quinn have been an amazing support of ours. Uh, we're going to have stock at their warehouse uh, by April next year. Um, and if customers want to have this technology in their vehicle, which we think will really help if insurance becomes a mandatory uh, thing that you would need for your vehicle, uh, because you'd be able to you'd be able to prove that you're a safe rider. You'd be able to say, look, this this is my how fast I've been going. In the event of an of an accident, you'd be able to prove your innocence, for example. Um, so it's a, a really cool area for micromobility, and I think it's you know it's been talked about. People have been talking about this, collecting the data, and this is our kind of approach to uh, work with someone like Quinn to do that. Very cool. Yeah, we got to check out Quinn. Um, but yeah, all these things around the vehicle, of course, are was a big topic at the the event, and will continue to be a big cover, uh, a big part of the conversation, along with the, you know things like V two X technologies that are increasingly coming to e bikes and scooters and such. I think it's really cool, isn't it? The way like the barrier to entry to some stuff has really come down in the last five years. Like um, I was just, we were just talking the other day, like, like just like our, our, our sales platform is Shopify. And like when we started, we had to have a custom website built. Of course. Like, it cost us so much money to do that. But now like 200, 200 bucks a month and you're in and it's like yes. amazing functionality. Yes, Totally. I, I totally agree. And I, and again, I think it's also good that uh, I, I, I see, you know, Jason, we mentioned, talked a little bit about Best Buy and like their e-transportation hub they're working on here in the US. Like, I think it's time for the traditional retailers to get much more serious about how they service all of you and give you the things that you need because the digital competition is very real and these retailers need to be relevant. And as you, like, I, you know, we, we run Ride Review, I see the search traffic, like the amount of people searching for scooters in the US is insane. And I don't think that all they're being serviced in, in traditional retail. And that's at some point that becomes a, a big, big opportunity. I think that's cool if you become the conduit to help, you know, non-native brands to access that. That's that's amazing part of what micro mobility and right of you can do. I think that that's really that's great. Great opportunity. Yeah, we want to definitely be a part of that. But you know, it's just like it's also just like you know, when you tell people there's you know, tens of thousands of searches, uh, um, you know, you get a month, like you should probably service these channels with, with, with purchase prices anywhere between a thousand to $5,000. Like, yeah, that's just a no brainer. Yeah. Um, so just to wrap up here, Jason Camilla, one, congratulations on winning, uh, micro America startup awards. Very funny. Actually, we had both, uh, in Europe, a uh, American company won and in America, a European company. Won. Oh, nice. So I don't know what all that's right. all about, but <laughs> sort of speaks to the the international nature of the uh, of the event, I guess it's really really cool to see. Um, but yeah, you guys were awesome. We appreciate the energy. And for everyone at home, um, go to swiftyscooters.com and uh, of course check out all of the vehicles. The, the latest vehicle, just to reiterate, though, um, what you're doing with the LFP uh, batteries is is really interesting. I commend you for what you're trying to do there. Um, and hopefully, it becomes an industry standard. Uh, in terms of your right right to repair and, and your, your your stance on that, I think, again, it's something that you should be applauded for. Um, as it relates to that 16-inch wheelbase and lower ride profile, I just think that's something that not enough people have, have felt and touched. So it'd be great to, I, I'd urge people to go out and try that type of, uh, your vehicle and just get that 16-inch wheelbase because I think it is a, a safer, a cruisier ride. So it's also just kind of fun in, in a way that scooters are always fun, but I think it's fun in a different way. And so it's worth, really trying out if you haven't um, before. 
And of course, the idea that you can you can buy it here in America, DTC is is awesome too. Um, and I think people people should. So go to Swifty Scooters, check it out. Uh, Jason and Camilla, thanks so much for coming on the show. And um, we we you know now you got the Writers Choice Awards to fight fight for. So to hope to see you guys uh, win for best commuter scooter, best folding scooter, um, any of the categories you might be in for. Um, and we'll announce the winners for the Writers Choice Awards uh, at Microbody World and the Writers Choice Awards in January 25th for everyone listening or Thanks. watching it. Thank you. Oh, Thanks honor. so much, James. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers. Save. Right on. Thanks, guys. <laughs>